listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. We miss you very much. It won't be long. We'll be rejoined again, worshiping together, um, greeting one another, speaking one to another, maybe not, you know, embracing one another for a little while. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that and uh, some of the details of us coming back together at the end of this Bible study. But let's get right into the, the scripture here, to, here together. Um, you've probably noticed that I often use um, a, 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 a kind of a vague language to refer to pursuing the kingdom of God. And if you've listened to me teach very much, you have heard me make these kind of statements like um, pursuing the heart of God or uh, wanting to understand the kingdom of God or in some manner be included in the, the, the work of God and to know his heart, to, to pursue him in some manner. Um, I know what I mean by that, but I'm also aware that people can be kind of, they, they feel like they kind of know what you mean, but they don't really, they're not confident they know exactly what you mean. And I admit that oftentimes when we talk this way, this way, um, we, we, there's almost like a, it's almost like there's a vagueness to our, to our language. It's not, it's not precise. It's not, you know, like a recipe that you can follow. It's more like a, the language of the searcher, the language of the seeker. Um, I think there is an important issue at stake here. And I want to try to communicate that. I want to try to show you this a little bit in scripture. And then I want to end with being more practical, uh, so you can understand perhaps with greater clarity, uh, what I'm referring to. And so there is at the heart of serving God, this element where we are, we are sojourners. We are pilgrims. Uh, we are pursuing a city that is not entirely clear to us what the form of it will be. We as, as believers with the inheritance of 66 books of the Bible, um, the inheritance of Paul's tremendous theology gift that he's given to us through his epistles, um, the gift of the book of Hebrews, uh, the gospels that we have been, we have received. Um, we have a tremendous advantage. Uh, we have a better sense of what the kingdom of God should be. Um, but even so, there is an element of the pursuit of the unknown. And I think this is part of what the Bible means when it refers to walking by faith, um, sojourning in the land, uh, seeking um, the, the, the will of God, the word of God, the, what is the Lord saying? What is the Lord doing? And I, I am aware that that language can be kind of mushy, kind of, I don't exactly know what we're talking about. Um, that's intentional. And I thank each of us in our own set of gifts, in, a, in our own uh, context of place and time. We have to discover what that means. Um, what does it mean for us to be people of faith? What does it mean for me to say, I, I seek to communicate the word of God, the heart of God, and in my life, by witness, I seek to manifest the work of God and the kingdom of God. Th these are, these are difficult things. And most of us spend a lifetime pursuing this. Full transparency. I don't believe that's wrong. I believe that's right. I believe this is the, 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 the essence of what it means to be people of faith. And this is why I think that the examples of faith given to us in the scripture are patriarchal examples 
where they knew so little they had no written scripture. I've been preaching on the lives of the patriarchs on Sundays with my my series on blessing. I, I, I sincerely believe uh, this is why these patriarchs, whether it's Paul writing to the Roman church, uh, whether it's the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, telling the stories of the Hebrews to the Hebrews, um, and, and all through the New Testament, there's this, this reach back to patriarchs, people who knew much less even than we do, and yet they had a hunger, do you see? They had a passion. They had a longing for God, and they had to live their life as the creative search for what it means to be the people of God. I think, I think we can miss that, um, and we can, um, we can try to make of it uh, something simple rather than something divinely mysterious. And I, 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 my, and my intent is not to be mystical. My intent is not even to, um, in some way, try to dramatize this. Um, I really think the pursuit of the kingdom of God and the pursuit of his presence, his nature, and his heart involves very much a seeking in our lives. Let me let me read to you a, a prophecy that's actually <clears throat> at the end of the book of Jeremiah. And it's it it really speaks to me because you know Jeremiah is not a a book full of kumbaya. It's not a you know, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. Uh, yes, there's divine love in the book, but it's a book of, of, of judgment. It's a book of rebuke. And then getting almost to the end of it, you come across this language, chapter 50, uh, starting at verse number four. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation, as I often do when studying or teaching. So we'll hear the scripture with new ears. Um, in those coming days, says the Lord, the people of Israel will return home together with the people of Judah. They will come weeping and seeking the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Jerusalem and will start back home again. They will bind themselves to the Lord with an eternal covenant that will never be forgotten. So after a book of rebuke and a book even of judgment, there is people who are seeking and they're hungry and they're looking and they're asking this question, what's the way to Jerusalem? Or as the, as the King James Version says it, uh, what's the way to Zion? So if we, if we see this in, in the, the hearts of those people who have been corrected by the Lord and this passion <clears throat> within them to, to pursue God, um, if it's even there, um, I, 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 I don't want to lose that. Those of us who have received this great gospel, I don't want to lose. I want to be founded scripturally and I want to be founded doctrinally, but I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking a doctrinal formula is the same thing as a relationship. I'm not, I don't say that to minimize doctrine. I don't say that to rush past um, this inheritance of scripture we have. That's not why I say it. I say it because I sincerely believe that you can quote all of the scriptures um, know all the formulas and have uh, no relationship with God. Um, I know one uh, one former friend of mine. We've we've drifted out of touch with each other, but he uh, he had gone to Bible school and received uh, uh, degrees in in theology. He went to the same Bible school I went to, took the same classes I took, and I'll never forget. I heard him testify at his home church when he came home, and he stood up in front of them. 
And he gave a quotation of all the apostolic doctrines that we love. And he did a good job of it. He quoted them strongly and fervently. He knew them cold. And a few minutes later, later he quit church, never came back again. A, 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 a former friend, um, I don't want to be presumptuous, but definitely an acquaintance of mine, um, knew every one of them, came home having finished his theology studies, nailed a testimony, laid them out to the church. And a few months later, he never darkened the door of a church again. Knowledge is not the same thing as love. It's not knowledge that changes the world. It's not knowledge that never fails. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us you can have all knowledge and it, <clears throat> it doesn't move the needle. It's love that makes a difference. So when I'm referring to this pursuit of God and I'm saying we can't just simply have this formula, um, what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to get at. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, it's pop, it's possible for us to be, have formulas and have doctrines and be almost pugnacious about those doctrines, but not really have this pursuit of, of God in our life and not really live with that sense of demonstrated hunger for the kingdom of God to the world in which we are, are placed. So, uh, let me tell you before I get into the practical section, let me tell you a great illustration from uh, that amazing Puritan author, uh, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was locked up in bed for jail for 12 years because um, his, his uh, preaching uh, condemned the formulaic Christian world in which he was, he was ministering. And so he wrote this wonderful allegory of the seeker. And he tells the story of two pilgrims, uh, Christian, who is the main character of the book, and also faithful, who will actually um, be persecuted and uh, die for what he believes. So Christian and faithful, they go through uh, a place called Vanity Fair. Now, here's the thing. All pilgrims, he says, Bunyan writes, have to go through Vanity Fair. The only way not to go through Vanity Fair is to die. And... <laughs> Vanity Fair represents the delights and distractions of this world. Uh, you can look it up even now in various dictionaries and you will find it described as the vain and frivolous way of life. People pursuing distraction, pursuing entertainment, um, ostentation, um, everything that is uh, available to the flesh and appealing to the flesh is there in, in uh, Vanity Fair in all its gaudiness and all its seductive allurement um, here in Vanity Fair. Everything that your flesh would be interested in is, is available to you. Uh, it's not just sins of that type. Um, it's also, uh, in fact, he talks about that, talks about this. It's not just the things of the flesh, material things, gold, pearls, precious stones, but here in Vanity Fair is also uh, titles and preferments honorary things. You see, not everything is a temptation. And in the church, oftentimes we, we, we're too simplistic about this. Um, sin, sin and distraction is not simply the indulgence of the flesh. It can also be the indulgence of pride. 
And sometimes we uh, we put that in our church as though that's not sin too. Um, uh, John Bunyan was much more subtle and insightful than that. And he placed in Vanity Fair, this <clears throat> city of distractions, this city of sin, he placed in it the fleshly, the carnal, uh, material possessions, material lusts, uh, but he also places pride and the the pursuit of prideful things uh, in our in our flesh. And so here we have Vanity Fair, the city, and these pilgrims have to go through it. Well, the leader, the Lord, using the language of Bunyan's time, the Lord of Vanity Fair is um, Lord Be- Beelzebub, <laughs> and he's in charge there. And uh, Bunyan does not lose the the gospel center of the story. Because remember, the center of the gospel is Christ has conquered what was killing us. That's the central idea of the gospel. Um, Christ attained the righteousness we could not attain and then swapped us for it, our sin for his righteousness. That's the gospel. Um, if you, if your Christianity um, misses that, um, if your Christianity depends on you, how good you are, um, you're not being gospel centric because at the core of it is Christ has already been through these things and won and then in mercy and grace gives us his victory. And so, uh, Beelzebub's the Lord of the city, but, uh, Christian and faithful, these, these two, shall we say, the pilgrims or witnesses, uh, they, they, they go into the city and, 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 and Christian says this, the prince of princes himself referring to Jesus. When he was here, he went through this town too. He went through it to his own country. He even went through it on a fair day, not when it was like small, but at its most tempting. And, uh, while he was here, Bunyan points out, Beelzebul, the chief lord of this fair, invited the prince of princes, Jesus, to buy of his vanities and, Beelzebub would have made Christ Lord of the fair if Christ would have only done reverence to Beelzebub as Christ went through the town. But Christ did not go through that, did not do reverence, and he passed through the temptations of Vanity Fair going to his own country. And so here come Christian and faithful, and they stand out differently than the other people there. Um, first of all, they're dressed differently because they're pilgrims. They're dressed for a journey. They're dressed to walk and journey through a wilderness. They're not dressed for a party. Uh, everyone else is dressed for a party. They're dressed to go and put on their finest and compete one with another in some type of a a value, uh, a fake value system or a false dominance hierarchy to show who has value. And here, here's the pilgrims, Christian and faithful. They're dressed to travel. They're travelers. And so they are made fun of. They are mocked. And uh, the story goes on. Eventually, uh, there are accusations brought against them. Faithful will literally be persecuted by those in Vanity Fair and he will die faithful to his convictions. Christian will escape and continue on in the allegory. And finally, having been mocked, having, you know, risked life and limb, uh, there are people in Vanity Fair who ask this, what will ye buy? What will ye buy? And the answer that the pilgrims give is, we buy the truth. You see, Vanity Fair is trying to sell you things. They're trying to tempt you. It's nonstop marketing. 
nonstop advertisement. This will make you happy. Really? If you buy that, you'll get whatever it can offer you. This will make you complete. Uh, okay, maybe. <laughs> if you buy that, you'll see for yourself. Give your life to this career. Give your life to this team. <laughs> Pursue this hobby. This will make you whole. Um, what of all these offers we've made of you will you buy? And Christian and faithful, they say, uh, no, thank you. We buy truth. And that's all that we buy. Okay, so I love that image. And I told it because um, there's such a grand tradition of the Christian faith that us modern Christians, we rush past and we we miss that. But this allegory in Pilgrim's Progress is just, uh, he was a genius. He truly was a genius. Not only that, I believe um, in his context and in his place and in his time, uh, he was anointed. And he he made a difference, um, not just in his time, but to generations to come. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Pilgrim's Progress is the most um, the most published book ever after uh, the Bible, speaking in terms of of, of history, not just in any any one uh, you know kind of popularity like modern novels. Um, but it's it, it touches me. It moves me. And I think there's something there shown in all of the temptations of this world. I, I want to point out to you that in this part of the story, in this part of the story, um, it's mainly about Vanity Fair mainly represents uh, the, the allurements and the temptations of the world. Um, there are images later on in the allegory of a more spiritual battle. Later on, Beelzebub, Apollyon, and their legions you have to read the story. They represent more spiritual battles. Um, they will do their worst. But here in Vanity Fair, it's just temptation, how you want to live, what you want your life to be, and the like. Um, so all of us go through Vanity Fair, and we choose to pursue the kingdom of God. Do you see? My continual invitation and my continual admonition to anyone who listens to me teach is to recognize that every day we are in this place of choosing and we choose, we choose to pursue a heavenly kingdom or we choose to be satisfied here, kind of playing in the mud, like, like children who, uh, <laughs> turn away from things of value and want to just go play in the mud. Um, that is the continual uh, the continual admonition that I'm going to give you. What does it mean for you to pursue the kingdom of God? What does it mean for you to know the heart of God? And what does it mean for you to manifest the kingdom, the kingdom of God? So I promised you that I would uh, end with some practical things addressing this issue of, of pursuing God, seeking to know him, like those pilgrims coming back saying, which way to Zion? Show me the way. I've, 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 I've tried this world. I, look, just show me the way to Zion and I will go there. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about four battles we fight in this practical issue of pursuing the kingdom of God. And this is going to be real practical. I'm going to do it in this format. What is the battle? How do we fight it? And how do we know whether or not we are winning or losing? Okay. So four battles. What is the battle? How do we fight it on a spiritual uh, level? And how do we know if we're winning or losing? So the first battle I want to refer you to is the battle of the self. This really is 
the question of who we will serve. Will we, pursue, will we pursue our wishes, our longings, our desires, or will we seek to discipline the self and pursue that which is manifest through Jesus Christ? This is fundamental, and everything begins here. We can't stop being, <laughs> uh, forgive me for saying this, saying it this way, it's a little confusing. We can't stop being a self. We are a self. There's no way we can ever be holy for others. We must choose that fight every day. Do you see? We can never stop being a self. We are a sub-entity within a larger whole, and we can never stop being a self. All we can choose is every day to turn away from the endless lusts of self, wants of self, and say, what is of God? And that's going to be in your context. That's going to be in your set of temptations, your set of gifts, your set of trials and tribulations. The, you know, to use a real spiritual example, kind of the cards you've been dealt. Um, you have to fight the battle of self. How do we do that? So that's the battle. The battle is a battle of self. How do we fight it? We fight it through humility. We fight it through fasting. Fasting is the greatest um, weapon, I believe, against the desires of the self, the flesh within us. And thirdly, we fight it with not simply repentance, but a heart of repentance. Do you see the difference? Repentance is just something you can do. It can be a deed. But a heart of repentance is a willingness to humble and correct and be corrected. Do you see? And so the first battle we fight is a battle of self. Who are we going to serve? You will never get spiritual enough where you don't have to fight this battle. The Apostle Paul uses the harshest language of his epistles, referring to the battle of the self. And he likens it to crucifixion. I die daily, he says. I crucify this flesh daily. That is the harshest, ugliest image uh, to that, to the, that culture. And he chose that in the same manner Christ chose it. Paul chooses it to, mat, to, to illustrate this battle, the daily battle with self. So battle of self is the battle. <laughs> the, the second thing is uh, how do we fight it? Through humility, through fasting, and through repentance. How do we know when we're failing? Well, this is pretty straightforward here. We either reject the way of the Lord, we reject the conviction of the Lord, the call of the Lord, um, or we make our religion about ourselves. There are ditches on both sides of the road. You can reject the way of the Lord and say, I'm going to live a life of the flesh, a life of sin. I'm going to buy a house in Vanity Fair. Or what you can do is build your own Vanity Fair under a title of religion two sides of the road. Now, what'll happen if you tend toward one, you'll tend to think worse of people who go the other way. Like, for example, if you're religious and you make of your religion your own little vanity fair with your own little dominance hierarchies and your own little who's better than who hierarchies and, and uh, who we don't hang out with. And if you make of your religion a vanity fair, there's no one you will hate more than people who reject God. And you will get a very harsh tone toward them. You will have a very condescending, demeaning tone. However, if you reject, if you reject uh, 
God entirely and choose the way of the flesh, you will justify yourself by hating self-righteous Christians. Do you see? So I, I, let me let me move along because there's so much there, there's there's a lot here. Battle number two: What are we going to focus upon? This is the battle of our attention. If you focus on the things of this world, you will inevitably inevitably become the product of that which you focus upon. That's the battle. How do we fight it? We fight it with prayer. What are you focused on? We fight it with praise. Again, what are you focused on? And number three, we fight it with worship. Prayer, praise, and worship. This is how we fight the battle of attention. Now, how do we know if we're winning or losing this battle? Um, this is how you know. When your prayer and praise and worship becomes needs-based, when your prayer and your worship becomes needs-based, not a desire for the presence of God. So battle number two. Sorry if I'm enjoying this. I just... Uh, I, this, this is, this is really, this is practical. So for all you guys who say I don't get practical enough, this is for you. <laughs> Actually, there's only one or two of you, but moving along. The battle of our attention. How do we fight it? We fight it with prayer, praise, and worship. How do we know if we're failing when we make our prayer, praise, and worship needs based? We pray about our needs. We praise God to manipulate him to give us what we want. We worship him to thank him for what he's done or to manipulate him to give us what we want. It's all needs based. We're not pursuing the presence of God. And battle number three. Battle number three is the battle of our truth. Now, I, I don't believe in a relative truth, but I say it in terms of the battle of our truth intentionally um, because uh, the truth that we accept is not necessarily the absolute truth. I hope it is. I want it to be. That's why we are diligent in studying the scripture. Uh, but uh, our truth is our truth. Uh, and so it can sometimes be very different than what is uh, accurate to um, the, the nature of God shown to us in scripture. So the battle of our truth is what will you <clears throat> believe? How do we fight this battle? We fight this battle by Holy Scripture. Remember the image in the Bible where the prophets told to eat the roll? We literally ingest the word of God into our life. And Holy Scripture becomes a sword in our hand uh, to fight this battle. Secondly, we seek a continuing word of God in our life. Now, this is not in contradiction to uh, the the, the written word. It is us seeking God to quicken it to us. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life to unveil scripture, to unveil truth, to help us know that which uh, we are reading and to understand it. And the third weapon we use in this battle of truth is obedience. Obedience. We see scripture and we follow it whether or not we understand it um, uh, as much as we would like to. So battle number three, the battle of truth. What do we believe? How do we fight it? We fight it with scripture, seeking a, a manna, so to speak, a, 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 a living word from the Lord, the quickening of the Holy Spirit in our life. And number three, 
by obedience and we fail. How do we know we're winning and losing in this battle? We fail when we buy into the beliefs and philosophies of our time. If you can watch a movie or read a book or hang out with unbelievers and their philosophy influences you more than your faith influences them, uh, you're struggling here in this battle of truth. And so very quickly, let me uh, finish up here. Number four, the battle of our way. So let me let me I kind of sum it up here. First is the battle of the self. Second is the battle of our attention. Third is the battle of our truth. And finally, in my seeking today to explain what I mean by pursuing God, um, the battle of our way. What will we do with our lives? How will we live? And from what will we find meaning? This is your way. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way or not a guide to a way. He truly is uh, the way. And we, all of us, by our choices, by our daily um, becoming, uh, our daily creating of our, our, our lives um, with choices and decisions, um, we choose a way. And like the scripture said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. This is the battle of our way. This is where we put action to thoughts. This is where we decide um, our doctrine compels us to do this. Um, how do we fight this battle? Well, we fight it, first of all, with perseverance. Um, we fight this battle of what, what is our life going to look like? What, what kind of decisions are we going to make? We persevere. And this is why I think this language is used so much in the scripture. Do not grow weary. Sound familiar? Do not grow weary in well-doing, Paul says. Also, run with patience, Paul says, the race that is set before you. So um, we fight this this uh, struggle of the definition of our life. Like, what what is our way? What are we going to do with what we know? Are we just going to be hearers or are we going to be doers? So this living out really, first of all, compiles the first three battles, the battle of the self, the battle of uh, truth, and the battle of uh, attention. Uh, actually, the battle of, uh, I put, I've mixed up truth and attention, but we, we fight it first there. And then um, we, we live it out. It has to mean something. Um, so think of everything you know about God. How much preaching have you heard? How many Bible studies you have, have been through? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with what you know? Um, we shouldn't rush past this. We should think about it. And finally, our way must be others focused. So the three ways really to fight this battle. First of all, what we do with it is everything we've learned. It's the first three battles. And then secondly, we have to persevere in everything we know. And, uh, and then number three, we have to be others focused. We cannot live a life that is focused on self or we go back to the original error. So um, Zechariah 8, verse number 20, thus says the Lord of hosts. And let me just say, I, I love this passage. I think it's a picture of the modern church in many ways. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. Seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. 
Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23, and this is Zechariah chapter number eight. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Now that's a picture of the church. That's the picture of the rise of Christianity. God is with you. We wanna go and worship with you. So I've given you four battles here and I think they're, I think they're practical and I think they're helpful. Um, the battle of self, who will we serve? Battle of attention, what will we focus on? The battle of truth, what will we believe? And number four, the battle of our way, our choosing our way. What will we do with what we know? How will we live and where will we seek meaning? We can get this wrong. Um, in fact, in the life of Jesus Christ, there are two groups that he uses as kind of teaching props uh, to demonstrate how they got it wrong. Um, the first group is the Pharisees, and I don't want to spend much time on them, but I just want to say the Pharisees missed the way so badly that they become a teaching example that Jesus used repeatedly. How did they miss it? Here it is in a nutshell. They became so focused on things that didn't really matter or mattered a little bit that they missed the things that really mattered. Do you see? That's really the error of the Pharisees. They read the law like formula, not as an invocation to pursue God. And so they became so focused on, on little things that they, they, they mattered-ish, but they missed the main thing, which was the heart vulnerable to God, pursuing his nature, humbling the self. And so the Pharisees, in many ways, broke all of the battles of the soul, broke all four of them. They just broke them in a religious way. They did not go to Vanity Fair. They took a religion and made a Vanity Fair of their own. Um, the second example is, is not nearly harsh, as harshly mentioned by Jesus, but it's there and it's, it's clear in the scripture. And that's the example of the Sadducees. Uh, they too were zealous to get the law right, zealous to to know God, to, to how shall we say, uh, keep Moses' law. Uh, that's a fair way to say it. Um, they had some different philosophies um, than the Pharisees. Um, they they became, so, their, their error was this, and I'm, I'm almost done. They became so focused on doing right in this world that they forgot about another world. They became so focused with winning politically here and um, being keepers of law here that they came not even to believe in a life beyond this life. And that was the, that was the error of the Sadducees that Jesus pointed out. He disagreed with them on marriage and he disagreed with them on eternal life. They became so focused down here, they missed another world. So I want to seek the presence of God in my life. I hope you do too. Lord Jesus, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you help us? And none of us have some secret inside track here. None of us look down on anyone else. We all are seeking to, to know you, to pursue you. Uh, we want to get this right. And with your grace and mercy, we will. And we will receive 
your spiritual covering while you receive the zeal of our lives as we pursue you and seek to manifest your heart to a world you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, a few details. Uh, when we come back together, uh, which I'm hoping will be before the end of the month, uh, we probably will be on a regular service schedule, two services on Sunday and on Wednesday night. Um, uh, we should be fine with capacity limits because of our two buildings. Um, also, if you are if you are weak or at high risk, uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, wear a mask. If you are elderly or you have immunocompromised conditions, please wear a mask when we come back together. Um, if you are at severe risk, you probably should stay away until we have a vaccine. Um, stay close through media, but um, you probably shouldn't come back together. We don't want to lose you. We value you very much. This is um, all of our elders. We're not ready to lose you. So uh, we are very comfortable with you exercising extra care. There has been some questions about an additional service for at-risk people, but having talked to some um, medical professionals that in many ways misses the point, the problem isn't just um, that you're exposed um, to people of a certain age, the problem is that you're exposed. You're either exposed or not exposed. Whether or not you just have old people together doesn't help. Um, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the retirement community problem. Um, and so uh, I, what, what we may do is uh, set aside a section, one of the back sections, set that aside. And if you are at high risk and you wanna stay away, you can come and you can sit in that section, but please wear a mask. That's really the only way uh, that that'll be able to be, uh, uh, I think, uh, a reasonable risk. But you need to make that decision. Uh, if necessary, seek professional and medical advice. We love you. It won't be long. We will see you and we'll be back to worshiping the Lord together and speaking his name in the presence of one another. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.